You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. All right. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started. A couple of things to uh, remind you of. A number of handouts today, a newsletter from, uh, from Joe regarding things taking place with uh, within men's ministry, uh, a couple of other things while you're settling in. Uh, if you're not going to play in the um, the flag football league that we have, which is really kind of extraordinary, I refuse to play in it because I don't want to play any sports with Christians. Um, but um, the the flag football league that we have, it'll be anywhere from 600 to 700 men participating in that. It's one of the most uh, I just an amazing outreach tool. Teams will come from all over. Uh, they really will. Uh, Fort Stockton and come up to play stupid game of flag football. And um, it's really funny. If you really want to be entertained, you should come one night and watch. Um, you know, there's, there's, because uh, the teams that always win are not the ones that look like they should win. You know, there's all the young guys that show up with all their new Nikes on and their gloves and um, under the impression that somebody from the NFL is going to be there because um, they just... <laughs> missed them somewhere along the line. And then there's this group, and I'm just going to say it the way it is. There's this group of old guys who just know how to play smart and um, just make the young guys look stupid. And they win every year. But anyways, the young guys keep coming back. We, um, but if you don't want to play, really an even greater role you can play if you're interested is helping us with, we want to assign two men to each team to pray for that team, to pray with those teams, and really to be at the games. The games are Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. They do not play every night. They don't play every Tuesday, every Thursday, every Saturday. But we really just want two guys to kind of be the, I guess you'd call it the spiritual trainers of the team. And uh, believe me, it's a full-time job if you were the other type of trainer, but we don't want you to do that. We want you to pray with them and just be a connection with these guys because 90% of them will not be in church. It's just a huge group and an opportunity for us to, to reach into their lives and show them that somebody loves them. But, but we're not trying to bait and switch them. You don't have to show up and do the four spiritual laws. We just want you to show up, love on them, be a familiar face, uh, meet the cops before they get there, that kind of thing. That's not a joke. That happens every year. And so just uh, if you're interested in that, please contact Joe. I don't even know where Joe went. Where is Joe? Where's Joe? He's over there. He'll be over there. So find Joe and he would love to talk to you about that or email him. And then also David Turner is taking a group of men. David, how many people are you on this trip? Eight guys. Eight guys, February 8th through the 15th to Guatemala to drill a water well. You refish, refinishing or, or brand new water well? Brand new water well to Guatemala, February 8th through the 15th. You need to know by when. Okay, so in the next two weeks max, if, you want, if you're interested in going with David to Guatemala uh, to drill a water well, let him know and he'll give you the details on that. So that being said, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and let's get into uh, the third chapter of Hebrews. Father, thank you for this day, um, for your grace and allowing us to so far have a part in another day. And as we start this day in your word, would you open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word, incline our hearts to your word, 
and not to gain, satisfy us in you and unify our hearts to fear you alone. Please just open our eyes. Help us not to miss the power of the message that is in Hebrews chapter three. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I know you have a lot of notes in front of you uh, and the one, the little chart thing that says HHBC Men's Retreat, I I do know it's not 2007. Um, This was the chart Andy we used in 2007 at the Men's Retreat, remember that? That was great. So I'm just gonna use this chart. You're not gonna have to fill in every line. You're only gonna fill in about four because I wanna just demonstrate a point that we've talked about before. Let's go to Hebrews chapter three. The writer of Hebrews has spent two chapters really just speaking of the superiority of Jesus. When we get to chapter three, and we're gonna pick up reading in verse seven, I think chapter three, verse seven, all the way through chapter four, about verse 16, uh, might be the central, there's debate, and and so I'm hesitant with my words, central, one of the most compelling uh, parts of the entire book of Hebrews. It is a warning to us, it is a challenge to us, And if you miss the admonition, uh, let me use another word, the encouragement, uh, the message in Hebrews 3, verse 7, all the way through chapter 4, verse 16, you might miss uh, some of the greatest joy you can know in your life. I think I shared with you last week that the first time this message began to resonate in my heart was literally in junior high, early high school, listening to a, a pastor by the name of Manly Beasley. And... I remember being in the auditorium and thinking there's something there I need to hear and it has resonated for years. But we'll dive in and we'll see how far we can go. So let me just begin reading a large chunk of this in chapter three, verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now the writer is gonna quote Psalm 95, Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They haven't known my ways. Critical phrase, they always go astray because that that issue of going astray always shows up in the area of my desire for satisfaction. Let's keep going. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, the word rest is gonna come up several times. And if you remember this note from last week, great. If you don't, let me remind you of what the word rest here means. It is not the word Sabbath. That is a different word. The word that's used here for rest, I'll read you some definitions, is quite literally, I'll put it this way, then I'll be more specific. A resting place, a place where he finds his presence or establishes his presence, a place where God establishes his presence or and a state of being settled, a state of being settled. So when you you think of this word rest, it's almost a, I don't wanna say a cessation of strife, but it's a place where you're you're okay, You're, you're at peace. This is the same word, that Jesus uses in Matthew 11, when he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It's the same word that is used in, I think it's Acts chapter 11, when God says, I will have my presence come among them and there my presence will rest. 
It will abide, it will stay there. So every time you see that word rest, you see primarily in this text, they are missing something. They are missing this place of settlement, this place where they no longer have to, to fight, where they no longer have to strive. So you can, you can observe a Sabbath, but not be at rest. For instance, every once in a while, some of us who've maybe been in church a little bit longer, we can say, you know what, I'm gonna have, I, the preacher preaches about taking a Sabbath, quit working on Sunday. And so you don't work on Sunday, but you're nervous the entire day. You ever had that kind of day? where you think I'm gonna stop and I'm not gonna do anything today, but you shake all day because you know there's something you're forgetting or there's something you're not doing. That is taking a Sabbath without rest. I'll give you another example. You go on vacation, you don't rest. It takes you a week to finally download and then you go back to work just right before you're rested. Does that make sense? You guys get what I'm saying? So there's, he's inviting us to understand he has a rest for us. It doesn't mean you stop working, but there's, there's something that he provides for us, that he desires for us, that he provides for us in Jesus. And he's gonna use the story of the children of Israel to illustrate how you miss this type of rest. Now, the other side of that is, you can be the busiest man in this room, but be at rest. You can, be, you can have the most hectic schedule, but there be, I'll use another word, there be a peace about you. Some of us are clamoring after something and we think we're clamoring after rest, but we're not getting it. And that starts on the inside, not on the outside. So let's keep reading. Take care, verse 12. He's being very pastorly here. Take care, my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead you to fall away from the living God. Now I gave you... I, it's gonna take us forever to read this, but if you look down at your note page under, under B, number two, and then just keep going until you find the lowercase i, and I gave you a definition of the word to fall away, okay? This is not a, I'll use a couple of words for you, a soteriological or a salvation issue. This is not a losing of your salvation. This is a forfeiting of your rest. And the word that he uses for fall away is to draw off or to set it aside, to put it away. So if you go back and read it, he says, take care my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that would lead you to draw away or put off from yourself the living God. Now remember, he's gonna show us this in a story here in just a minute. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, which means now, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now in the same place I just told you to look at your notes, look under the, the number two, and I, I have defined for you what he means by being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now all this, I'll try to tie all this together a little bit, a lot of detail work here. This hardening is drawing away or putting away is the result of a pathological heart hardening. The Greek word is scleruno, sclerosis, brought about by delusion and deceit. Now you see these definitions. Let me read it again, okay? And then we'll keep moving. So if you feel a little bit lost, it's okay. All of us do. So verse 12, take care, my brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead you to set aside, to push away from, or to draw away from the living God. 
You must exhort each other every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by a pathological hardening brought about by delusion and deceit, the deceitfulness of sin. Now already, if you've been reading the Bible for a while, you should be thinking of Ephesians chapter six. If you're not thinking of Ephesians chapter six, that does not make you an idiot, okay? That just means you don't know. But Ephesians chapter six says we must put on the full armor of God so that we can be aware and fight against the schemes of the devil who's seeking to deceive us. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Now watch this, watch the words, very careful. Let me read verse 18 again. To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Well, he swore that to those who were disobedient. But how do you get to disobedience? Verse 19. So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Disobedience is always a result of a lack of believing. When when you tell your children, if you do this, I will kill you. And they do that. They don't believe you until you kill them. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, You speed because you do not believe that the police officer is around the corner. And then when he is around the corner and exposes your, the, the falsity of your belief system, you then lie about your system. Do you know how fast you were going? No. So it, when you, what your belief system drives your obedience or lack of obedience. This will come up here in just a minute because the children of Israel missed the promised land because of a lack of belief in what God would do. So let's keep reading. A lot to read here. Therefore, While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Oh, good news came to us just as it did to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listen. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although, key key verse, his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Let me keep reading. I could just go, we could just stay here for the rest of the year. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, I know you're, and I can feel the room. You're kind of like, oh my, come on. So let's keep reading verse six. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And you harden your heart through a continual deception and hardening related to sin, which is related to what I trust for my pleasure and satisfaction and joy. Verse eight, well, I'm just gonna finish this. If Joshua had given them rest, God will not have spoken of another day later on. So then it remains a Sabbath rest, a stopping and rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works or his laboring 
as God did from his. In other words, there's no longer a need to prove something. Now let's keep going. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one can fall by the same sort of disobedience. Disobedience brought about by a lack of belief. You might know this verse. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning my thoughts and the intentions of my heart. None of us are hidden from his sight. All of us are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. This is the linchpin verse for this whole section. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Key verse, so then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of unmerited favor and abundant supply for the need of the moment. You say, all those words are not in my Bible. That's the definition of grace. Let me read it again. So then let us draw near with confidence to the throne of unmerited favor and abundant supply for the need of the moment so we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 17, okay? That's a lot of reading. You guys are awesome listeners or really tired. So go to Exodus 17. Let me show you the story here very quickly. Exodus 17. I hope in seeing this, you'll also be able to see some of the unity of the scripture as well. So I told you to turn to Exodus 17. In Genesis um, chapter 12, you read of God calling Abraham to go into a land that I will show you. In Genesis chapter 15, there's an event. Don't turn there. I'm just giving you, getting you to this place. In Genesis 15, you see the Lord telling Abraham in this unique event of, that happens at this sort of sacrificial, kind of a sacrificial event that only God passes through the covenant, which is another interesting thing. So anyways, he says, your descendants will be prisoners in a land. And, he, and God is foretelling, he is already telling Abraham what's gonna happen to the children of Israel. They're gonna end up in Egypt. They will be captives, but he will bring them out. So you know some of the story, I'm, I'm skipping a lot, but in Exodus chapter 17, they have come out from Egypt. Um, they've crossed the Red Sea. And then when you get to chapter 17, I should get there too. Let me show you something. Verse seven, chapter 17, verse one through seven. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Now stop there. If you'll read carefully the book of Exodus and even read Numbers very carefully, the children of Israel, I will say 98% of the time, no, 100% of the time, their stumbling came at trusting God in their most basic needs, food and water. I mean, they'd be out there and they'd say, he's, he's brought us out here to die. He's brought us out, we don't have anything to drink. And at the very, the very basic needs, they doubted that God would care for them. And that, that, that deception led them to go to a, the edge of a land of great promise and say, we don't trust him. And the same thing will happen in your life. You see, some of us think we want God to do a huge miracle, but we don't recognize the miracle of his provision that you drew breath this morning, that you can trust him. So look at the early indication here, of the attitude of the, of the nation, verse two. So the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, 
I mean, you gotta feel sorry for Moses. I mean, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But they thirsted for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, why'd you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with us? And Moses cried to the Lord. He goes, what am I gonna do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I'll stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the name of the place Massah and Mirabah, which simply are words talking about testing. They tested the Lord because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord with us or not? Now, turn over, so you're in in Exodus, go past Leviticus and go to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. So now the children of Israel have been moving through the wilderness. They're headed towards the land of Canaan. We already see how they started, not so good. Every time I read uh, about the children of Israel and I think about them saying, you wanna go back to Egypt. Some of you have been around long enough to remember Keith Green. Any of you old timers remember Keith Green? This, if you've never heard of Keith Green, um, he's this old hippie, Jesus hippie guy from California that sang some of the best lyrics. And uh, wasn't he killed in a plane crash? Wasn't he killed in a plane crash? Is that what it was, plane crash? Yeah, so I, I met this person in our church a few months ago and I was mentioning that and, and this person told me, oh, I went to church with him. I was like, wow. And anyways, no other deal. So in chapter 10, you go to verse 11, chapter 10, verse 11. And it just tells you that they're, I, I'm in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. So they're, they're continuing to move. If, you could, if you're saying, what about this cloud? There was the, the presence of God covered the tabernacle that was among the traveling children of Israel. And when the cloud lifted up, that was the presence, that was the Lord telling them it's time to move on. Now, chapter 11, I want, you, I want to show you again. Verse one, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Not a good day. And the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. And the name of that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. This, this anger of the Lord. Now, what am I showing you? They can, they're continually being hardened by the deceitfulness of unbelief. So now go to Numbers chapter 13. Turn the page, a couple of pages. There's a whole nother issue in chapter 11 about they're complaining about food again. They have this amazing quail hunt by the Lord. And then you get to chapter 13. They are on the edge of the promised land. And some of you know the story now, it's beginning to ring to you that they pick 12 spies and they send the 12 spies out. Verse one, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now watch these words, which I am giving to the people of Israel. Critical, critical words. I'm giving this to them. In fact, it was promised in Genesis 12, or at least, there's a place I have for you. There's a place of rest. I'm giving that. He didn't say send out the 12 spies to see if it can be given. I'm giving this to you. 
So the 12 spies go out. You know that 10 come back and say, this is impossible. Verse 25, at the end of 40 days, the 40 days comes in, into play later because that's why they spend 40 years running circles in the wilderness. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land that came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. And they brought back word to all the congregation and they showed them the fruit of the land. Now listen to how they give this message. They told him, we came to the land to which you sent us and it flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and large and we saw, the, we saw giants there. That's basically what that means. We can't do this. Just like I keep telling you over and over, God is not leading you to a place of where you can accomplish something. He's leading you to a place to trust him. And it might look like a difficult place, but it's a place where he wants to move in your life and work in your life and show you rest. Some of you cannot even fathom staying in a marriage you're in. And as you stand on the edge of that land, the Lord says, I have something through there that you cannot imagine. Go into that rest, but trust me in this place. Some of you can't imagine staying in a job that you're in. I don't know what your issue is. And the Lord is, is, is putting a moment in front of you and he's telling you this is a place of rest. But just like those 10 spies, we look at it and say, I don't know, I don't know. And that I don't know comes from a hardening we've been fostering for a long time. Let me just show you the, some of the sweet parts of this story. Verse 30, Caleb. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, man, let's go up. Let's occupy this place. We're able, we can overcome it. And the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. And then they caused this whole division and, and, and they miss it. Chapter 14, they miss it. Look at chapter 14, verse one. Chapter 14, verse one. All the congregation raised a loud cry and they wept all night. Here it is again. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said, would that we died in the land of Egypt or would that we died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Now skip down chapter 14, verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? That, that, remember what I told you about Hebrews. You disobey because of disbelief. You disbelieve because you do not trust the character of the one you're supposed to trust. And he said, how long will they refuse to believe? Chapter 14, verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as of all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land I swore to give to your fathers. Verse 34, verse 34. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, I know that's a lot. I mean, whew, you read a lot of scripture. Did you just not prepare? And so you just wanted to read a lot of scripture? No, but I want you to see the whole context of what's happening here and, and begin to think about your own life. And when you go back to Hebrews three, which is where we'll be the rest of the time, there should be, 
I am a grace person. I believe in the grace of the Lord, the unmerited favor of the Lord. But we as men of God who are seeking to walk with the Lord must have a, I'll call it a holy fear about us that we could actually miss a rest because we do not trust. And he warns us and he says, you could be hardened. And that's why I put this chart in front of you to show you again this whole process of hardening. And some of you have seen it before, but I wanna kind of take you through it because there is a life, let me, let me read it the way I wrote it. There is a life of settlement made possible by a life of delight in Jesus. Let me say that again. There is a life of settlement, a life of, of rest, a life of peace. That doesn't mean you're not working. That doesn't mean you're not busy. But there is a life of settlement made possible by a life of delight in Jesus. But we must be careful about the hardening of the deceitfulness of sin. And all of us face hardening daily, daily. So let's kind of take a look at that and I'll take you through the first part of this chart and kind of show you this thing that uh, has been around here for years. Some of you are like, oh, I've seen this a million times. But let me just show you something, okay? So you've got this piece of paper in front of you and the writer of Hebrews says this. Let me read it again. Be careful, my brothers. Lest the, you almost hear that song. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Remember that song? We need to sing that every day. Oh, be careful, little hands. Well, I don't know how it goes, but anyways, just be careful. Be careful, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away, to push away, to set aside, to, to inch away from the living God. Urge each other daily, exhort each other daily that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I'll read that definition I read to you again. It is a pathological hardening brought about by delusion and deceit. Okay, so every one of us have issues that come into our life all day. Every day or issues you're dealing with. On that chart, it says I's and T's, which is issues and trials, okay? So I wrote a few in on mine. Sometimes I feel like things are unfair. And, and then you always remember what your dad or your mom told you. And you're like, if you say that one more time, you know, that's just not fair to which a parent usually says something like, life's not what? Well, that's not fair either. So quit saying that. I hate that statement. But anyways, someone's, someone has abused your rights. This is one of the hardest things in the Christian life because that whole phrase that when you become a follower of Jesus, you surrender all your rights. That's what it means to be a slave, which that's not very fun either. Um, so let me, I'm gonna pick a few out here. Maybe there's illness that's occurred that's a trial now or a test. Uh, maybe there's success in my life that has become a trial. Maybe there's failure. Everything that comes into my life, everything that comes into my life is an opportunity to trust or not trust the Lord, period. Everything. Everything that comes into my life is an opportunity to trust the Lord or not trust the Lord. And how I'm seeing life and how I'm seeing my issues is really a matter of wisdom. It's that prayer, Father, give me wisdom. Remember James chapter one, all this works together, the scriptures are unified. James one, and, and which says, whenever you encounter various trials, I'll just write verse two all the way through the rest, that's following. All these trials, all these issues are an opportunity to say, Lord, give me wisdom. 
And here's why I need wisdom. Remember Hebrews 3. So I am not deceived and hardened, and so I do not miss your rest. I'm at Walmart the other day. I mean, I never go there. It's, it's, I can't stand that place. I love the capitalism of it. I just hate the place. So I'm, I'm there. I'm walking around in circles trying to find stuff. They move it every time. And so I finally get to the checkout place. It's just a moment. I'm like, wow, this is a test. And it's the self-checkout. I always go to the self-checkout. Why well, don't I want to talk to anybody? So I go to the self-checkout thing and I start running things through. And, and I'm doing it right. And, and I take the, I have five boxes or something and I run it through and the thing says, you, you're doing it wrong or something like that. It says, there's something over there that shouldn't be over there. And that, why is it always that lady's voice? I'm tired of that voice. It's the same voice in your car, recalibrating. That same lady, I'm like, shut up. So she tells me there's something wrong over here. And I know it's not wrong. I see it on the deal. I've done all five of them. And, but now here I'm going, there's cameras all over. You ever had that feeling like this is a moment I'm gonna get caught? Have you ever had that feeling? And I'm like, someone's looking to see if I'm gonna steal Celestial Seasonings tea. And, and I don't even like that stuff, but I'm buying it for somebody else. So I'm calling the lady over. You gotta see this, you gotta see this. I'm like, there's, I promise you I've paid for it. She goes, you're fine. I still don't believe her. I'm like, this is a, this is a test. Somebody's this is gonna be in the paper tomorrow, all this kind of stuff, but <laughs> it doesn't matter. Everything you're dealing with, even simple matters like that, are an opportunity to pray for wisdom because if I'm not careful, I can be hardened quickly. And let's be honest, myself and all of you know the areas you are susceptible to being hardened the easiest. Did you understand what I just said? Some of you would never do this sin, whatever that is. But there's another one that all of us become so easily tangled. You understand what I'm saying? Hebrews 12. Let us continue to set aside the sin that so easily entangles us. To a man in this room, we all know what easily entangles us. We do. And it's, it's the same issue you pray about all the time. God, it's that one. You know what I'm talking about? It's why do I, what in the world? And, and so, but it is in that area where the Lord is seeking to t- show me how I can trust him rather than what I want for my pleasure. You say, where do you get that? The children of Israel. Food and water in the desert are fairly common necessities. The area to stumble is in the area of their need to survive. In this place, they want to find their satisfaction and they're not trusting the Lord for it. There are areas in your life that God is orchestrating tests and trials to show you you can trust him. But since the enemy cannot have you, if you're a follower of Jesus, he will seek to deceive you. And he is committed to the long haul of deceiving you. Guys, I don't care how old you are, you're alive today because you have yet to see the glory of God this side of heaven he wants you to see in your life. And because of that, the enemy is committed to your dying day to get you to miss your place of rest. Every day you wake up, the enemy is as committed to deceiving you to miss your rest as the father is committed to you seeing your rest. He cannot have your soul, but he can steal your joy through deception and you will miss rest because you will be deceived from trusting your father. Okay, so how does that happen? 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. 
through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Now, don't worry, you didn't have to write that down. Let me show you what happens. So you're looking at this chart. Ignore the top, okay? And go to the bottom where you see one, two, three, four, five. Everybody got that? Does yours have one, two, three, four, five? Okay, good. So let me just show you what happens. Something comes into my life, okay? Um, I'm gonna try, I'm not gonna use an example. You can use your own. So something comes into my life and 1 John says, I see, I want, or I think I deserve. Okay, that's just about where every battle begins. Where do you see this in the scriptures? Genesis 3. So Adam and Eve is where it begins. They have everything they need and the enemy shows up and deceives, deceives them. He, he, he quotes the Lord and he causes Eve to set her eyes on something in order, he causes Eve to doubt the Lord has her greatest joy in mind. When he says, surely you're not gonna die. I mean, if you do that, you're not, you're not gonna just fall over. I mean, in fact, you're gonna see something you've never seen before. And she sees the fruit and she desires it and she thinks she deserves it. That's 1 John 2, 16 all over again. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And so just like that, you and I, that's how quickly we can walk into deception. Here's a prayer for you today. Father, guard my eyes, check my wanter, and help me to not believe I deserve anything. Let me do it again. Guard my eyes, check my wanter, and help me to stop believing I deserve anything. That's where it starts. Because I could probably go through the last seven days, or you know, all of us can go back and see, uh, I, I got my eyes off the prize. Who is Christ? And he, what he wants from me. So you gotta watch it right here. And if you don't check it, right here, which is why 1 John 2, 16, or James chapter one says, pray for wisdom. God, help me to see deception. Help me to want what you want me to want and help me to desire rather than to think I deserve. It all starts right there. He said, the children of Israel step out into the desert and they go, well, we deserve better than this. We don't deserve manna, we deserve quail. And God does a big deal on that deal. In fact, they pretty much gorge themselves. I mean, they, they all of a sudden forget that he's the protector of their soul and their life. And this is where it starts, guys. All of us know what so easily entangles us. So begin to pray, God, help me to see what you want me to see, want what you want me to want, rather than what I see and what I want. That's how the hardening, listen, the enemy, I don't know how many of you have young kids or older kids, the enemy is working in this area all the time, all the time. He is constantly working on my, for me to see the world the way he wants me to see the world. Ephesians chapter two says, the enemy is the prince of the power of the air, working in the sons of disobedience. It also means he's working around us. Man, my perception, my vision, the, the real vision and the inner vision, that's the real vision. It needs to be run by the Lord. So let's keep going. I gave you, let me, uh, no. So let's keep going. Number two, up here at the top, blame. And these really are not linear. I know I'm not drawing a line, but 
these things just always are occurring right here. This is just a big circle we're drawing. Eve, God showed up. Where are you? And Adam and Eve blamed each other. And that's what we do. That's what the children of Israel did. You brought us out here to die. Well, I wouldn't be having this see problem or this want problem if this person over here who's causing me these troubles would just leave. I wouldn't be having this issue at work if this person would just take that promotion to Houston. I wouldn't be having this, this lust problem if my wife would just start treating me like she did when we were dating. You get me? So we blame. And you, you can do this all alone. You know that. You can do this all alone in a matter of about how many seconds? Five, right? All this happens quickly. Children of Israel do it in about four verses every time. We deserve better than this. And we all do it. It's the hardening. And if you don't check this process, gentlemen, this is why you meet people who are older, who've been in church all their lives, who never checked deception as teenagers and played church as adults and have hard hearts when they get older and they just go to church. That's why the scriptures tell us to repent and return for a time of refreshing, a time of rest. So what's the third one? Let's, let's finish this out. It's uh, on your notes, it's number three. We guard, protect, and defend. Now, let me tell you something. What I mean by guarding and protecting and defending, what usually happens about here is we start trying to find people that agree with us in our deception. The children of Israel rallied around each other to say, well, we deserve better than this. We begin to rally around other men who think like us. We find our, our buddies who, who will speak pejoratively about their spouses so we can feel good about that. We find people at work who will complain about work like we will. So we begin to surround ourselves with others who will also guard a false perception, protect our staked out territory of what we think we deserve and defend our actions and defend our actions. Now, gentlemen, watch this because here's the part that's a little bit hopeful. You can be doing this and nobody see it. And the great news is the Lord can reveal that to you today and you can stop before you make a decision you wish you'd never made. You see what I'm saying? No, the children of Israel did not stop. They just kept going and they kept going and they kept going. And then they stood at a great moment and because they had been hardened by this, they missed the moment. And, and this cycle, I won't finish the chart, but what happens here is if you don't check this by wisdom, and by Lord, be my joy. If you don't check this, this is when people sit in my office and they say, I never in a million years thought I'd do fill in the blank. Because that, 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 that statement's not true. That's what gave rise to this, was sitting in my office and Mike Gakey and John maybe and listening to people and finally sitting there going, how does this happen? And it happens when men and women and the children of Israel and walking with the Lord in one little moment, in one little moment, when the enemy says, watch this. 
and he deceives you. He doesn't deceive you with this failure. He deceives you with you thinking you deserve in a, just a moment. And it can occur waiting in line at a stoplight. Do you know that? It can occur waiting in line at a stoplight when you go, why am I, why am I waiting five times through a stoplight? This is stupid. And that reminds me of how so-and-so treated me. You see how that happens? If you don't check your thoughts, the next thing you know, the enemy uses Walmart. Well, he, all the time. But he uses Walmart to say, I deserve better than this. I want more than this. I think, and the children of Israel said, we deserve drink water and we want water. We deserve food and we want food. We're tired of manna. We should have died in Egypt. Next thing you know, they look into a promised land and say, God cannot do this. And the next thing you know, enemy has hardened your heart through deceitfulness. You have resisted encouragement and community. And the next thing you know, you step over a line and you go, wait a minute, what did I just miss? And you are anxious and you are outside of rest. Next time we come together, we'll talk about how we push into Jesus as the one who gives us this rest. I hope that makes some sense for you this morning. You can use that today. Father, thank you for these men, their attentiveness, more importantly, for your word. For myself, and and it's really up to each man I know on his own, I pray that my seer and my wanter and my deserver would be completely submitted to you today in every aspect. May I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ today and be quick to see when I don't. I thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but yet that does not relieve me from the discipline and the challenge to walk in holiness. So help me to do that. May I guard my heart, protect and defend for the glory of God, not for my own gain. May the world these men are about to enter see the Jesus they profess in the way that they speak, in the way they act, as they preach the gospel in words and deed today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Remember David Turner, remember Joe, football and water wells.